The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Dr. Rashid Buttar is a graduate of the University of Osteopathic Medicine and Health Sciences, College of Medicine and Surgery. He trained in general surgery and emergency medicine and served as brigade surgeon and director of emergency medicine while serving in the U.S. Army. Dr. Buttar is board certified in clinical metal toxicology and preventative medicine, is board eligible in emergency medicine, and has achieved fellowship status in three separate medical societies. To find out more about Dr. Buttar, please visit his website, drbuttar.com. That's D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R.com. Rashid, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us the time to have this conversation today because I know you are a very, very, very busy person. Like, I think I'm busy, but then I see what you're doing these days and I'm like, whoa. I actually wish we've got so many interviews right now, requests, over 50 interview requests. And I'm saying that, you know, there's certain people that I want to talk to and certain people I just don't have time for and even some of the mainstream media that that's trying to because I know they're going to try to do a hack job but I understand that you've been labeled as the most controversial person in Australia well maybe the prime minister or politicians could take that <laughs> could take that label but definitely yeah. there seems to be a lot of controversy about the things that I share from different medical experts from around the world and well, then you're talking my language then, huh? Perfect. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've been fascinated by you for a very long time. And because what I love is, and I've used this analogy before, there's great chefs in the world and there's not so great chefs. There's in every industry, there seems to be people that further their education. And to give you a, a quick example, I've traveled across the world to eat at somebody's restaurant before. And I know, and some of the doctors that I've interviewed on this podcast before, people actually travel from one country to another to be able to sit with that doctor to help them on their journey. Whereas there's doctors all throughout every single country. And I would like to, and without judging to say one is better than the other, but let's just say that there's definitely certain people in certain industries that have expanded their knowledge base to be able to provide a service that is above and beyond what you would consider the baseline. And same thing in my, my profession, there's chefs all around the country, but I probably won't, wouldn't feel comfortable eating some of their food, <laughs> you know, just because of the ingredients that they use, probably the, the intention that they put into their food. And again, I'm, I'm generalizing, but there's other places that I go where I will happily spend my money, sit down because I know that they're putting attention to detail and their intention is to create something memorable for their customer, or in a doctor's case, something memorable for their patient in which to address the root cause. So I'd love to start off with how you became the doctor that you are from your initial training to where you are now, where people are flying all around the world to come and see you to benefit from your experience and your team. 
Well, it's kind of actually interesting how things work out. And I'll tell you, it's, it's an interesting question. So I'll just answer it this way. Doctors have a responsibility that is completely different than every other profession on the planet. And sometimes I think the medical profession doesn't recognize that or understand that. But in my opinion, the most holy work that a person can do is what I do, which is medicine. Because when you make a mistake on one of your broadcasts or you make a mistake on a recipe, you know, maybe it may not taste as good. I mean, you may not be proud of yourself. But when my profession makes a mistake, we count our mistakes in body bags. And I've gotten so many accolades over the years by people that I've treated and by people that are close to me and I've been attacked by everybody else that have never been, they don't know the first thing about what we do or how we do it. And at a certain point I had to, you know, when I was growing up and even college and medical school, only God and my father were the only two people that I cared about what their opinion was of me. I didn't care about anybody else. And when I went into private practice, then I added patience to that. But my profession is riddled with such a high level of incompetence and such an under appreciation of the significance of their responsibility to the creator, to the planet, to, to mankind, that I'm, I'm just an average doctor, but because there's so many people that are so incompetent, you know, the level of incompetence out there just makes me look like I'm so fantastic. But everybody should be at that same level because I'm not doing anything more than I would expect. A, if, if I was going to a doctor, that's what I would want. I would want somebody to be able to tell me the truth, not have to worry about uh, about their where their prioritization isn't their license or their financial bottom line or their you know whatever and I'm, I'm not saying doctors are financially motivated that, and that's that would probably not be accurate because probably doctors are across the board I'd say maybe only half of them are financially motivated it's not that it's it's the fear doctors are the most fearful and the most unintelligent people that I've come across now I say you say how can doctors be unintelligent doctor what defines a doctor is their ability to deal from an endurance standpoint, the rigorousness of the training, all right? Doctors are like mules. They're stubborn and they have an incredible ability to carry a workload. I don't think anybody works harder than a doctor on the planet. To be able to go 36 hours without sleep during training and you know, then 12 hours of rest and going back 36, nobody works like a doctor, but that's like a mule. The ability to carry your, the weight of, and the burden of that responsibility. That's a mule and that's what they do. But they're also narrow-minded. They're stubborn like a mule. They've been put up on a pedestal by the educational system, by the system itself, the hierarchy, you know, ever since the 100 years ago when homeopathy was commonly used and then 150 years ago, the Civil War, they used homeopathy and then they bastardized it and minimized it and ridiculed it and all the natural healing modalities that were ridiculed when the pharmaceutical model came into play. From that point onwards, there was a different agenda. And we're seeing that come to fruition right now. So I just feel that physicians need to wake up and understand the res their responsibility and, and hear the calling. They, they are people that truly hear the calling, but it's the, the calling that they're hearing is not consistent among all of them. And I cannot see how you can be a physician and not understand that you have to stand up for your patients. And I think that most doctors think that you, as a physician, just have to write a prescription and that's it. And it's a sad place to be. So I hope that answers your question. Um, I, you know, for you to say that, I appreciate those kind words, but I don't know any different. You know, it's kind of like telling me that, how did I learn how to breathe? I, I just breathe. You know, that's, I don't know. I don't know any other way to be. Mm, no, I love it, mate. And what, you are, are renowned for is helping people that have been told they have untreatable conditions and you are sort of the last bastion and I've and I'm not putting myself in your camp at all but there have been so many people that have adopted say a simple lifestyle change by one of the simple lifestyle changes by changing their diet for instance and I know that diet isn't the be all and end all and there's so many different pillars to health it's how we sleep it's how we think it's how we connect to nature it's how we connect to ourselves and to others it's it's how we move it's how we breathe it's our belief systems and then it's in our environmental 
toxins that we have to deal with as well. And looking at all of these, I see, sorry, my dog is trying to get out the door there. She wants to get out to her some vitamin D right now and some fresh air and she's pouring at the door. I'll get you out there in a second. Hold on. But looking at this, we've had so many people that have changed one aspect of those pillars of health, which is their diet. And it's usually the last thing that they change because they've tried everything else. They've been to all the specialists and I'm not here to, to negate what, what doctors do. But all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is actually working. I'm actually feeling better. Sometimes they even reduce their medication. Sometimes they get off their medication. And this isn't on all the cases, but it's like, how can food be so powerful when even they go to gastroenterologists and they say, the gastroenterologist said there was no link between the food that they're eating and the issues they're having in their stomach or their guts. So when you have a patient come to you that is considered untreatable, how do you look at them as a whole? And what pillars of health are you looking at when they walk into the door? Is it one? Is it, is it all connected? I'd love for you to take us through what happens when you see a patient for the very first time. First of all, I want to back up a little bit because you said that you don't want to, you're not saying that you don't do anything like I do, but I would remind you that the word physician means to teach. And anybody who is either one providing information that's true, that resonates with an individual, that empowers an individual, that allows them to regain their own autonomy, they are doing very important stuff. And, you know, there are a lot of doctors that are out there that are doing a disservice because they don't talk about diet. They don't talk about toxicity. They don't talk about the environment. They don't talk about the epigenetic aspect. They don't talk about the importance of exercise. And they don't talk about those things because those are things that are free. Those are things that are, that, that you don't need a doctor, right? I mean, that my, my goal is to have a model like they are in certain parts of the world, in the Far East, for example, they're communities where the doctor only gets paid as long as you're healthy. But as soon as the doctor, as soon as a patient becomes sick, the doctor doesn't get paid anymore. And think about that. That's changing the complete paradigm. There's a reward that a doctor gets when a person's sick. And when the person's healthy, there's no reward to the doctor or to the health system. Now, just imagine if we change the paradigm and the reward was only when the person's healthy. And if they become sick, that means you failed and you don't get paid anymore. Do you think that we would have a disease model anymore? And that's the whole component, that our mindset is one that's oriented around disease, to diagnose it, to then treat it, to have interventions for it. The whole healthcare system, the entire planet is based upon this misguided principle of rewarding lack of health. And I feel that we should be working towards a goal of making ourselves obsolete so the world doesn't need any more doctors because there is no more disease because everybody is guided in the right way so that I can go on to being a fly fisherman guide or whatever. That's really where the world should be going. And this current crisis is a beautiful example of misdirection, of misinformation, of distraction and diversion from what the real truth is. I would love for you to, to just explain the different skill sets that you have, because obviously if I was to be hit by a bus out the front of my house or be run over or whatever, have a traumatic in incidence or accident, then I want the medical profession to be there for those trained people to put me back together, you know, and I know that you've worked in areas of surgery and on field. And I'd love for you to be able to explain that and, and why that is such an important part of the medical system. The medical system has made extraordinary advances. There's always good and bad. Like you said in the beginning, when you were talking about there's some chefs that are fantastic and some chefs that lose food you wouldn't want to eat. And the same thing with doctors. There's a lot of fantastic doctors. And there's some doctors that I wouldn't want to have treat me. And so it's like that in every profession. But when it comes to acute trauma, medicine is so far advanced and has made massive strides. And my training was in general surgery. I trained at Brook Army Medical Center at Fort Sam Houston, which is considered to be one of the top five surgical programs in the United States, which is then by definition, one of the top five surgical programs in the world. And that's actually where Silverdean was developed, where the Institute of Surgical Research is located. So 
the most severely burned patients, if they're any, if they have any type of um, high standing in the government, in any government in the world, they usually get flown to Brook Army Medical Center for burn trauma center because it is the world's leading burn trauma center. And so, I mean, like literally on the whole planet, this is considered the number one place. So I started general surgery there and I've taught through the military and through the medical profession. So they have certain courses, for example, uh, ATLS, Advanced Trauma Life Support, and, and uh, ACLS, Advanced Cardiac Life Support, and PALS, Pediatric Advanced Life Support. The American College of Surgeons is the body that puts together the Advanced Trauma Life Support System, the, the training program. And that's a training program to teach doctors how to deal with penetrating trauma and blunt trauma, gunshot wounds, being knifed, you know, car accidents, motor vehicle accidents, acceleration, deceleration, injuries, that type of stuff. And I was an instructor with the American College of Surgeons for almost 20 years teaching advanced trauma life support to doctors for training to teach them how to deal with trauma for ER docs and such. Younger surgeons that were coming on board. I also taught with the American College of Cardiology, the, the ACLS course, and the advanced cardiac life support system, how to deal with acute conditions, respiratory conditions, cardiac conditions, myocardial infarctions, that type of stuff. And then, of course, pediatric advanced life support, too. Again, these are all courses, Pete, that are used to teach doctors, not teaching laypeople or nurses, teaching doctors how to deal with these situations. Um, ACLS and PALS are all also taught to nurses, but not to ATLS, advanced trauma life support, is not taught to nurses. That's only for doctors. I also taught through the military system. I was part of the JMRTC, which is the Joint Medical Readiness Training Command. And again, dealing with the traumatic aspect, the combat casualty care courses and those types of things. So my training in acute medicine, in traumatic trauma medicine, is quite extensive. And I can tell you that we have made massive strides in trauma medicine, in acute medicine. In fact, the, you know, I'll just tell you a little quick side story. Most people won't know what the hell I'm talking about right now, but for the few surgeons out there, they probably know the name of Maddox, M-A-D-D-O-X. Dr. Maddox was the, considered to be one of the most forefront people in surgery. I don't even know if Dr. Maddox is alive now. But when I was in training, he was at Ben Taub, which is part of the Baylor system in Texas. And I spent a number of months on the blue surgical team in, at Ben Taub. And uh, a lot of times when you're in postgraduate training, you go to different hospitals or different hospital systems to get their unique aspects. So we had a major, major trauma center in at Brook Army Medical Center, but we would also exchange residents to get different types of experience. For example, most of our trauma that we dealt with was military type trauma and things that would be flown in from other military bases. But then to deal with civilian trauma, you know, we would go to Ben Taub in Houston and then those doctors would go from Houston to San Antonio, Texas to get more experience with military type of I know, injuries, I shouldn't right? be laughing, I'm and sorry. So a lot of the civilian injuries are usually drug deals that have gone bad or whatever, that type of stuff. So we would do a lot of trauma, dealing with trauma, but then post-surgical intervention, when they're in the ICU, you have to deal with their withdrawal from their drugs because they were drug addicts, right? Whereas in the military, we didn't have to really worry about that. So it's a different type of experience. Sabaston, who wrote the book, the, the textbook of surgery, it's called the Sabaston's textbook of surgery. It's about, about this thick, okay? He's a father of surgery. And in the first chapter of that book, Sabaston says, that what makes a good surgeon, um, uh, I don't remember the exact words how he used it, but basically he says something to the extent that anybody can do surgery. You can teach a monkey to do surgery. What defines a good surgeon is the preoperative and the postoperative care. And in Sabison's textbook of surgery, in that first chapter, he says that surgery is the ultimate admission of defeat. Now, this is very interesting when you start looking at it from the, the father of surgery. Now, Dr. Maddox was a very, very well-renowned, and again, if nobody's going to know who Dr. Maddox is, unless you're a surgeon. If you're a surgeon, especially if you've done any trauma work, you know who Maddox is. And I got a letter of recommendation for Dr. Maddox, which is an unheard of thing. So that's, you know, you see, you know, my military awards and what I've done in medicine and all these accolades and testifying in front of the U.S. Congress and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then you'll see this one thing that I'm the most proudest of, which is a letter of recommendation from this person that nobody knows, but yet in, in the world of surgery and trauma surgery, everybody recognizes him. And I remember a conversation that I had with him 
he had thousands of residents and, and from different, like six different hospitals. And he would basically, in, in medicine and surgery, when you ask a question of a student, of a resident, of an intern, we call it pimping. So you pimp the student, right? And Dr. Maddox would have these grand rounds once a week. And you'd have all the doctors, all the residents, all the interns, all the medical students, and that hospital system, you know, that's a 2,000 bed hospital system, whatever it is, not only from Bentow, but from the University of Texas, Houston, you know, from um, LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson Hospital. So all these different places would come into this massive auditorium and, they, and then there would be people that would be televised and they would, Dr. Maddox would give a lecture or whatever it was. And it was always, you know, he, was, he would always be on this board and it was televised and whatever. Once a week, it was grand rounds. So anybody in medicine knows grand rounds. And he would always ask, he'd pick one person out and he'd ask a question. And the thing is that nobody would ever know the answers because he would always pick the most obscure thing to ask. And we had a visiting doctor from China the week before and had rounded with us and had brought up a question. There was a discussion about a certain topic and it just so happens it was a hyperoma, okay? A hyperoma is a brown fat lipoma. But unless you've actually heard of a hyperoma, most doctors are like, what the hell's a hyperoma? And you have to look it up. Well, I'm a resident and Dr. Maddox is up there. And, you know, you never knew whether he... Nobody, he would just randomly pick a name and, you know, it, out of hundreds of doctors sitting there. So I'm leaning back in my chair, my senior residents behind me, whispering in my ear about a patient that we have to go and do a HIDA scan on to make sure that they have, don't have a, a cholangitis, uh, basically a, a gallbladder infection. And so I'm telling him that I wrote the order and right as I'm, you know, kind of leaning back. And again, this is like probably 300 people in the auditorium, right? And while Dr. Maddox is up there, he says, Dr. Buttar, and I'm like, caught catching me off guard. What is a hyperoma? Now, when he would ask a question, you'd have to stand up, right? So I stood up and I knew that if I, I mean, I knew ex everything about the hyperoma because we just covered it the week before. But I knew that if I just spotted it out, you know, it would look like, you know, it would be like disrespectful to him. I mean, no, nobody ever got his questions right. Even the attending physicians didn't get his questions right. And I like start hemming and I'm hawing and I'm thinking. And I'm like, you know, I knew what the answer was. And I said, well, I believe it's this. And, you know, and I strung it out. And Dr. Maddox was known to basically call you out and just, you know, just explain everything and kind of embarrass you. He never looked at me. He continued writing on the board. And I answered the question. And I'm still standing there. He turns around and continues with his lecture like I didn't exist. It was like totally ignoring me because I answered everything and it was right and there was nothing to say. So he just continued the lecture. I sit down, my resident, my senior resident leans forward and he goes, you are the luckiest son of a bitch. He goes, I cannot believe because I've been here for three years and he's never asked a question of me that I knew. And he asked you the first time question and you knew it. Okay. So about a year goes by or six months goes by, whatever it was. And I came to his office to ask for a letter of recommendation. His secretary says, you know, I'll, I'll make an appointment for you and you can come back. It'll be, you know, a couple of days. So I come back. She ushers me into his office. He's writing something. And so I said, well, Dr. Maddox, I was wondering if uh, I could get a letter of recommendation for my general surgery program at Brook Army Medical Center so I can continue my surgical training there. And he's writing on something and he pushes a paper forward. So I'm asking for a letter of recommendation. He pushes a paper forward and I look at it and it's got an unbelievable letter of recommendation written. You know, I'm looking at it. I mean, it brought me to tears. I mean, he, he recommended me. He said that any surgical program in the country would be lucky to have this resident in, in their program. And he never said a word to me. As I was walking out the door, he said, best of luck. You've got a position here if you want it. That type of, you know, it was something to that extent. And I remember hearing him once say that the responsibility of every doctor is to do the best that they can. And I think that we as physicians sometimes forget that. And the surgical training that I've had and the, and the acute medicine training that I've had and seeing the advances in acute medicine makes me, humbles me to know that we have come so far in science, but yet in all other fields of medicine, in internal medicine, hematology, oncology, in all the other non-surgical, non-acute care medicine, we have been miserable. We have failed miserably. We have failed to recognize the etiological component of disease. We still continue to cover up symptoms. I mean, it's like, you go to a mechanic and the mechanic says, you tell the mechanic, look, I got this flashing light in my car and I got this knocking sound in my engine that I can hear. And the mechanic says, okay, well, turn up your radio and let me take this flashing light out. And you say, well, I can still kind of hear it. And he says, okay, here, put these headphones on. Like you've got, you're wearing, put headphones on. And now with the music turned on, do you hear the knocking sound now? 
No, I don't hear the knocking sound. Okay, good. You're good to go. That's the level of medicine that we're at. And it's, you know, you're laughing about it. And it's so stupid. That it's, it's, if it wasn't the seriousness of it and that people are dying because of this type of mindset, it would be funny. I mean, you can't really do anything else but laugh about it because it's that ridiculous. And yet it's accepted. It's accepted. And that's the same way. You wouldn't accept the mechanic with that type of mentality, would you? Then why are we accepting the same thought process with doctors? We have failed miserably to understand where disease starts. And when you talked about diet and nutrition and exercise and how you breathe and the thoughts that come into your head, that's where medicine should start with. That's where it should start because that is what sets the present. That's what sets everything. Einstein said, you cannot fix a problem with the same mindset that created it. Right? And my version of Einstein's quote is you cannot sit, fix a problem with the same damn mindset that created it. Because it is that frustrating to see a profession that is a noble profession, that, that is a profession that people count on to ignore the fundamental basic aspects of, of science and medicine that have been established and that are understood. And now with this current situation, to completely take the basic fu fundamental physiological understanding that we have of how the body works and discard it and look at the basic aspects of virology and, and infectious disease and say it doesn't count now and just the misinformation and, and then doctors are fearful they don't want to talk about it. they don't want to come out and, and, and voice it now i'm very very proud to say that there are many doctors now that i've seen you know at least not many but 30 some doctors i've seen that have come out in public and, and questioned the legitimacy of this issue but I'm amazed to find out with all the people that have been responding to us throughout the world, you know, there's been over 4,000 new doctors, like MDs, you know, DOs, doctors of chiropractic, naturopathic doctors, all, all with the doctorate, like PhDs that are in clinical, uh, in some form of clinical medicine, doctorate level professionals in the healthcare industry that have been reaching out. And that gives me hope to see that there are people that truly want the world to know the truth. What's happening right now? And I don't know whether you want to talk about what's happening now or not, Pete, but I'll give, answer your other question. And I'm, I apologize. I kind of went off on a little bit of tangent there, but it was a little bit down, walk down memory lane. What does a person go through when they come to our clinic? Well, there is a tool called the AHEAD map. The AHEAD map stands for, it's an acronym that stands for Advanced Health Evaluation and Assessment for Detoxification Medical Assessment Program. That tool has been, basically that tool is based on the subjective SF36 patient outcome-based research model. And we've taken the subjective data and then we turn that into an objective numeric value that can now be tracked. And it allows us to do two things, accomplish two things with the head map. The first is that it allows us to measure efficacy of treatment, whatever that treatment may be, whether it's standing on your head and chanting a mantra or chemo and radiation or some type of a nutritional protocol or a pharmaceutical intervention, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It allows you to evaluate objectively the result of that treatment and breaks it down per organ system. It's looking at the organs of detoxification. So you've got the primary organs of detoxification, like the gut, the skin, you know, kidneys, liver, et cetera, et cetera. And we have some certain other things that we stress like adrenals and systemic pH and a couple of other things. And then we've also got on the, the secondary lesser organs, what I call the lesser organs, you know, like the heart and the brain. I call them lesser organs because they're not primarily there to detoxify. And we're evaluating the stress and the burden on those organ systems through the head map. The second thing the head map allows you to do besides measuring efficacy of treatment is also allows you to track progress. Are you getting better or are you getting worse? Now, this head map started in 1999, the first version of it. And then in 2001, I started implementing it in my practice. And from 2001 till now, 19 years, it's been perfected. It's got over 350 years of clinical experience behind it that's fueling it, which are the other doctors that have helped me to refine it. And we went to an electronic version in 2010. And from 2010 till now, the last 10 years, it's gone through another 100 revisions. It has, we have been able to establish that Within 60 days of following the a head map correlation with, with what the head map shows us, using our therapeutics. Now, this has nothing to do with anybody's therapy, but anybody can use it for anything, right? You can use it to assess meditation or chemo, like I said, anything. We've seen a 93.57% improvement in symptomology in less than 60 days, no matter what the symptomology is. I will not see a patient in my clinic unless they have done their head map. Every month they have to do their head map.
I, I refuse to see him. Even even some of the most prominent people. I mean, I can give you some names of some prominent people. I'll give one name of an individual that you know. Again, privacy is an important thing. But this individual has been in public saying that I'm his doctor. Uh, so Bobby Kennedy is an example, and I will not let him, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I will not let him bypass that. He he doesn't have time for five minutes, but he has to fill out the head map and do it. And it takes 45 minutes to do it because I want to see where the person is because it allows me as a provider to assess. It's been valued at $300 every time you do the assessment by a third-party insurance company actuarial analyst. Every time you do it, it's been valued at $300. You know how much we charge for it? Zero. And it's open to the whole world. So anybody can use it. And that's where we are. In fact, if you want, uh, we can set you up so your listeners can take the head map and they can, they can measure their lifestyle changes. We've actually done this with um, stress management. We've done it with everything you can imagine. And it's, it's so beautiful because you can look at the data and you can see which organ system is affecting. And I was told that you got to charge this. Year. I said, no, we're going to turn it over to the whole world. There's many other ways of making money. This tool needs to be utilized by as many people because it allows people information. The problem is that people are living in ignorance. And when you empower people with knowledge, then they can no longer be victims. They're no longer ignorant. They are now aware. And that when they're aware, they can't be taken advantage of. They can never be made victims. And so my goal with the head map is that if people are empowered and understand how their bodies work, it gives them some autonomy. And then just start walking. Okay, just start walking and you'll see the difference. I mean, look at the head map will change and you start hydrating. This is a couple of things. We have a map to get ahead program. Okay. My book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, you know, it came out. You've probably read it, Pete. And that's not a plug for the book. I don't need any accolades in the book. It's, you know, it came out 10 years ago. It's still selling thousands of copies. In fact, Amazon just contacted us and they needed 10,000 copies more. And it's, it's just been kind of crazy. But, you know, that book was designed to allow people a roadmap of what they needed to do to achieve optimum health. And we've got a program now that people, if they end up, if they decide they want to participate in it, we've got a program, it's like valued at $2,685. It's called the Map to Get Head program. They get a whole bunch of stuff, books and DVDs and, and subliminal programs and access to all sorts of resources. And But it's a, that's completely free if people join the IADFW, which is the International Association for a Disease-Free World. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this is, we were, we were talking about health. It's the goal of the International Association for a Disease-Free World is to make the change the world's waiting for. That's our motto. That's what every individual that comes in says that. And you know, I haven't asked anybody to join. In fact, if anything, we've put our videos that have been censored on YouTube on the dashboard when you create your free dashboard just so people can access that. And it also gives them access to the head map for free, no cost. They can't even buy anything. The only thing they can do is join the IADFW. And I've told people, some of the mainstream media try to hack me and, you know, just did a hack job and saying that I'm charging people to be able to watch these videos. And I'm like, the videos are free, guys. I'm only putting them on my website because YouTube, after these part three, part four, and part five of the COVID-19 conspiracy, after they hit a million or close to a million views in two or three days, boom, they took them off, right? So we put them on our site so people can access them, but it's behind a password. So when you create your dashboard, you can see it and you have access to the, to the videos, you have access to the head map, there's no cost. And so I'm telling people, look, the only thing you can buy, in fact, is the IADFW membership, but you don't have to do that. So don't, don't even worry about that. It just so happens that right now we've done something like it's $99 a year to join. So we're saying if you join, you get the map to get a head program for free and you get, no, you never have to pay again. It's a lifetime, we upgraded you to a lifetime membership. Ne there's not even a proper funnel. And when you go through the IADFW, it's so many hoops to jump. I told people, you don't have to do that. Do you know we've had hundreds of people joining? And I'm like, I don't understand. I'm telling people not that you don't have to do that. This is just free stuff. Just get the free stuff. People are joining in hordes. I'm trying to figure out what, what the heck's that about? Now, it's because people are becoming empowered with knowledge. And the people that come in, they tell me on our Facebook private group, people are saying that I have never felt this way. Forget about even the information. They're just the feeling that they're getting. And that feeling is that empowerment. You know that thoughts don't live inside our heads. This has been scientifically shown. Thoughts are transmissions. They're like little signals that are being sent out. Now, if you have signals that you're sending out because you're thinking a certain way and I'm thinking a certain way and the other people think a certain way, it can change the world. We have a hashtag we just registered called We Change the World. Not changed the world, we changed the world. And hopefully you saw the video that came up about the intention and prayer. Do you know they're censoring that video where the video is about holding love, gratitude, and compassion for your brethren on the planet and to ask source energy, to ask the creator to support us in this period of evolution. Because this is painful, but remember, all growth is painful. 
the process of evolution is painful. It's, it's difficult. It's distracting. It's, it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it's just downright painful. But with that comes newness, the new growth that's coming in that, that's necessary part of evolution. That pain that you're experiencing is an ingredient and a component of that growth, which is necessary for that evolution process to take place. And I have to keep reminding people that it's okay. Embrace it. So we ask for support from the creator for that. That video has been censored, not by YouTube, not by Facebook, but it's been censored by some of the email search engines where people have sent it out to 200, 300, 400 people. They get blocked. Like, why? Is it just my name? I mean, it's myself and Nia Peoples, who's a celebrity and, you know, She's an actress and a singer. And the Bruce Lipton, Dr. Lipton. Those are the only three people on there. But they censored that message. There's nothing in there. There's nothing controversial in there. And here's the thing about controversy, right? People can label it whatever. You can be labeled controversial. Like what? People can label anything, anything they want. My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at PeteHLC.com backslash Pete. That's PeteHLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. But it can't change the truth. You can label the truth as controversial. You can label it as whatever you want to label it, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still a fact. I shared your video actually with Bruce Lipton because he's been on the podcast before and I thought it was wonderful for humanity and for the planet to be able to, and it definitely wasn't controversial, you know, putting love out into the world and, and having a group meditation, you know, on every hour. And that to me is common sense. <laughs> there's no, well, there's nothing let there me that. tell you why we did that. Because my, I moved to New Zealand about 2016 and long in the short, it's not important what was supposed to happen, but something was supposed to happen on Sunday, this past Sunday. And that's why I put that up because there wasn't, I got the message that it's going to happen now. It was going to be an event that was going to be catastrophic. It was going to be blamed on a different nation. And there wasn't enough time to get out because I've got my, you know, my kids. I, and that's why I moved to New Zealand. But I came back because my kids were here now, you know, went through a divorce and all this stuff. And so I'm back in the States just because my, I'm doing stuff here too right now, but my kids were here. Both my sons and my daughter were here. And I'm not going to sit there. It's a lot safer there. When you know that something is supposed to happen, and it was, I was told it was going to happen in 2019, and it didn't happen in 2019, so we thought everything was fine. And I got the call last Thursday. It's going to happen. It's going to happen on Sunday. And, and the level of, I don't want to come out and say it because I don't want to cause mass panic, and so I'm not, I'm not going to say it. But the point was there was only one thing left. And the guy that my source said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the creator. I've never prayed. But I'm telling you right now, Dr. Tar, that's the only thing we got left. And he said, I've been praying and I've been praying. And he said, look, you just need to leave because the world needs your information. You need to get out. And initially it was that component. And then I thought, we can change this. We, 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 the world can change this. And I called Bruce. And it was actually funny. I said, I got to call Bruce. And he and I had been playing tag by email for the last three weeks. He's been so busy. I've been so busy. He's just literally, I open up my computer and there's a message from his wife. Rashid, we'll be online in 15 minutes. If you can make it, we're finishing an interview. And I'm like, well, and, and it, that email had been sent like 12 minutes early. So I had, three, you know, it was three minutes. And I was like, I was thinking I got to get a hold of Bruce. And there he is, three minutes. Got on, you know, instantly Bruce was like, he goes, give me five minutes. Let me just, you know, because he was like in a casual shirt. And he's like, let me. You know, he went and did makeup and everything else. You know, Bruce, you know, Bruce doesn't need to do any of that stuff. But in two minutes, he was ready to go. Looked completely different, background perfect. Got me on there, and we made that tape, video. I mean, my background was so bad that people said, "Look, it looks, you know, it looks like a, a you're in a cave or in a dungeon. Could you do something else?" So, so my significant other, you know, put that world thing the there. World. And I was going to change it. And Bruce like, no, no, just keep it. It looks good. Let's go. And I, so I was like, all right, good. we'll do it. Uh, it's perfect. I love Bruce and, and what you said, the biology of belief. And, and I'm a firm believer in that. And I do I want mean, to remember, ask. Remember, Pete, he taught in medical schools for 40 years. Okay, people forget. They think of him as this metaphysical father-like figure that talks about love. You guys don't know. Bruce Lipton is a hardcore scientist, okay? And he transformed because he realized when you hear, if you sit down with some of his lectures, it's, he, he just, it's like remapping your brain. He is like a, an artist. 
you know, the tapestry that he draws out in beautiful. You cannot not understand after you see one of Bruce's presentations. And I'm telling you that he was, when people talk about Bruce sometimes, I can tell those that follow him because they love him and those that follow him because they know that he is truly one of the hardest core scientists out there. He did all the stuff with stem, uh, stem cells 40 years ago. He was doing, he's a cell biologist. He was teaching in medical school at the University of Wisconsin Medical School. So he's hardcore. It's not like, you know, he's not in fluff, fluff and metaphysical stuff. Yes, he talks about consciousness. Yes, he talks about some of these things about love. And, but the reason he's talking about it is because he's seen all the other end and he realizes he's got full gamut. He understands. I even had people on my YouTube saying, Dr. Tar, I believe everything that you're saying. I cannot believe you're such a great doctor. But hey, can you just back off on that love stuff? Because that sounds a little poofy. Guys, that's what the world's about. Because <laughs> once you get to that highest level of understanding, it's all about love. Mm -hmm. Okay? The mm -hmm. antidote of fear is love. People mm -hmm. say, no, it's courage. No. The opposite of cowardness is courage. The opposite of fear is love. I would love for you to talk about that now, about how great minds face such resistance and challenges when they speak their truth, you know, and, and throughout history, it seems to be that way. And even now with censorship, why do you think that is? And is it to do, I mean, if we go woo woo here, is it to do with the energetic vibration of the planet or the consciousness? And is it collective where, if we're talking about love or talking about some of the things that may be happening at the moment, that it's received with such, I don't even know what the word is indignation, but just, just, I don't want to look at that because if, if that is true, whoa, you know, and, and I'm in this boat at the moment where even yesterday I woke up just going, oh, I, usually I'm pretty grounded and I wasn't, that grounded yesterday, <laughs> to be honest with you. I was like, oh, fuck, I want to get off this boat for the, or this trip for the moment because it, it's very shaky and I'm, I'm looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that I created and we co-create that. But looking around, it's like, oh, fuck, this is, where is that light? If it's, and I know it's in here and I know it's in there, but collectively, how do we get to that tipping point? And, and do we get to that tipping point? And is it a collective decision we have to make? And if it is, is it going to happen this time around or will it happen next time around or the time after? And each, is each time going to get worse and worse? So if, please feel free to speak your mind however you, you, sh you feel. This situation, what's going on in the world right now, is an active war on consciousness. And us as a collective, the world's population is a collective. It is up to us to change it. And we have the power. That's what they're afraid of. What happened Sunday and that, and that we stopped it. You have no idea what could have happened and what mass devastation was going to happen. It was going to start in North America. We shifted it. We changed it. When I say we, I mean you in Australia and the people in Japan and in Russia. I've got footage that was sent to me from Russia saying, Dr. Bittar, your message is getting out. They had a town with a thousand people in Russia that was that had police all around. They were trying to get people to go back home and they, they refused. Our message is getting out there. So when I say we change the world, I'm talking about you and me and every other person on the planet that's understanding this. And I want you to remember that based on David Hawkins' work of level of consciousness, that everybody that's resonating at a level of love, which is 560 on the David Hawkins map of consciousness scale, negates 100,000, 200,000 people that are resonating below 200, which is fear, guilt, anger, uh, envy, those emotions. So it doesn't take that many of us to really make that difference, but we want to get as many people to become aware of this. And I want you to let your followers know that that video that you got, that you sent, that you sent out, and I appreciate you doing that. I didn't know that you'd sent that out. And we know that there are many people with millions of followers each that took that video and sent it out or, or changed it around a little bit or changed the order of it and sent it out. And I really cannot express the level of gratitude because the reason I'm able to sit here and talk to you right now and is because of that video, because if it hadn't happened, there may not have been many people here right now. That's all I'm going to say. And that happened, was supposed to happen. We changed it on Sunday so that it's powerful. It, we know that it's powerful. That is the, the re, why would they be censoring that video? Because they saw the power of it. We changed the world, right? Because they cannot attack us on that spiritual level as long as we have this in here. Now, I know you may be thinking that I keep on saying they and we, and 
So I'm, I'm just going to open it up because people need to understand. And I don't know if you, if you don't want me to say this on your thing, then you can just censor it out. But people just need to go. Can, can I just tell people where they can go to get this information? Mm-hmm. So we put that the COVID-19 conspiracy videos and it was COVID-19 conspiracy question mark. It was a question. That was all it was. It started by some patients asking me. So I, on one of my social things, I just put down, and if you guys really have these questions, you know, if I get more than, I don't know, I said, if I get more than a hundred yeses, I'll make a video for you guys. I opened it up a couple hours later. I had 780 yeses. And I was like, okay. So I started making a video. And the problem was, is I started making the video and collect my information. There was this, there was this rabbit hole. And so I realized I can't just do it in one video. So the first one was COVID-19 conspiracy question mark, facts versus fiction. And I put that out. It was only like 12 minutes. And then the next one came, toxicology ignored. And then the third one came, corrupted science. And then the fourth one came. Um, I don't know whether they could censor that. So I'll just say it starts with this and it ends with the letter that the word goat starts with. Because every, literally anything that's, that word is mentioned, that number and letter, boom, they, they, they flag it and they take it off. Then the fifth one was deceptive agenda. When the fifth one came out, I knew they were going to flag that one. So I didn't even put the full, amount, the full video out on YouTube because they'd already taken out seven out of the nine websites and taken them down and taken the videos down. But that deceptive agenda showed the lies that we've been told and the proof of it. That's why they took that whole video series down, or the third, fourth, and fifth one. So people can access that and all the, tell me, Pete, I mean, what, what's your, what do people know you as, or your, your YouTube channel, or what is it at? What, what is it? What, what do you? Uh, Evolve with Pete Evans. Okay. Evolve Pete Evans. So EPE. So they just go to askdrbutard.com forward slash EPE. So that's, Elephant, Papa, Elephant. If they go to askdrbutar.com forward slash EPE, they can, they'll get all this stuff that we've talked about and it'll be completely free for them. They can go through the resource. Obviously, if they decide they want to join the IUW, that's a choice, but you don't have to do that. People, just listen to me. Just, just get the videos. That's all I want you to do. Get access to the head map. But you can see all those videos. And the last three were over an hour long. This fifth, the sixth one that's coming out, which is going to come out probably this week, part six, is Empowering Yourself. And that video is going to transform the world. It's not just me on that video. So I've been ranked in the United States as one of the top 50 doctors for the last 13 years. And, you know, we have patients from 93 countries. I'm not saying this to, because I need to stroke my ego. I'm saying this so people understand that from a basis of clinical medicine, when it comes to people that are sick, we have an international reputation in cancer and autism, treating autism. We've treated people with strokes and heart disease too extensively. But when it comes to those two things, you know, the world has recognized our results. I mean, even to the point of certain governments and, you know, politicians and, and that have come here for treatment. We can't, we can't say who they were because of from a privacy standpoint. But the point being that from the clinical aspect of dealing with medical issues, I'm that person representing that community in the video. Then I've got one of the leading world's virologists who was right in the middle of this from the get-go, who worked at the National Institute of Health for 22 years, who did the gain of function studies on Ebola, who was going to expose and become a whistleblower that vaccines do cause autism and they do cause cancer and was threatened, uh, career was threatened, life was threatened, went to jail, was under a gag order. They couldn't speak about this and the gag order just expired and now has come out. So that person is with me on, on the video and exposing what we can do to empower ourselves and what the truth is. And then the third person we just mentioned, my dear friend and your dear friend, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who comes in from the medical education standpoint and from the consciousness standpoint, most importantly, from the quantum physics standpoint. And we go through this. So it's, it's a very long video. We're going to probably divide it up in three or four parts and release it. But it will show the world. And now it's just going to be a, a job for the rest of the world to get this information out. And something personally happened to me about two and a half hours ago. And it was so impactful to me. I asked my son permission to put this out. And he didn't want me to put it out at first, but he said, Dad, if you think it's going to make a difference in the world, then put it out. And I'm going to try to get that video out in the next 24 hours because it shows you the raw emotion of what's, going to, what's, what's happening. And, and he, I even ended the video. 
I mean, I just start I just start videotaping about halfway into it because I wanted to show him afterwards when he was calm how he had emotionally responded, and it went in a direction that I didn't expect. I I even my previous interview with not the first interview today, but the second interview, which was right before yours, I, I had to cancel it. I had to reschedule it because of this, and it went to an area that. I asked my sons because the level of emotion is something that I haven't experienced in maybe maybe once in my life. And I asked my children, my two sons, I said, are you worried about this from a medical standpoint, about a health standpoint? And they were both not at all. It was the other aspect. It was that war on consciousness. It's the war on the spirit and what's happening. And if you know my history, then you know my son, Abi, is the one who had been vaccine injured. He testified in front of Congress at the age of five. He's a world-ranked martial artist. He's a world-ranked poker player. He's, he's number one on an app with over four and a half million people. He's going to be playing at the international championships, the, the, the world poker championships in, in, in uh, Las Vegas in June. He was supposed to. God willingly, he will. And he trades with me. He, you know, he, he's, my, he, he's incredible with risk management. He understands the markets. He, he's a whiz with numbers. And I've taught him everything that I've learned. That's my hobby. And we've been doing some stuff since he was 13. And he knows what's about to happen. And the devastation that he was feeling. And I, I, I don't want to say any more. You'll see I, anything I say is not going to express what, what you're going to see. And when we air it, I want you to let as many people see it. Because when people see it, then they'll understand the gravity of the situation. And the most important thing for them to do is wake up. They, people have to wake up. If they don't wake up, what's coming down the pipeline? I don't care about me, my life. I've lived a wonderful life. If my life were to end right now, I've lived three lifetimes and it's been an unbelievable ride. But I want my kids to be able to have their lives and I want them to be able to have their grandkids and I want everyone to be able to have their grandkids because right now, Pete, whatever we see, it's the present. But 20 years from now, 50 years from now, people will say that was my father. That was my grandfather. That was my aunt. That was my uncle. That was my, my mom that fought for that, this movement. They were the ones who stood up. And that's where we're at right now. Mm, mm, thank you for sharing, Rashid. I am looking forward to hearing and seeing what you release. I have a question. Oh, something I'd love for you to um, talk to us about to finish us off, and I think it could be quite pertinent, is the prayer for the physician that you have on your website. If you could sort of summarize that, that would be fantastic because what I hear at the moment and is that there are a lot of, I think it's just become mandatory in Australia or certain states that for people that work in aged care facilities and certain areas that they need to be have a mandatory vaccine to be able to, even if your parents are in an aged care facility in certain states in Australia, for me to visit my parent, if they were in there or family member, we have to show proof of uh, flu vaccination before we walk in the doors or for anybody that, for nurses, for doctors, for anybody like that. So things seem to be going down a path that maybe for all good intentions, you know, I can't comment because I don't know, but I keep getting emails every single day. And I would love for you to talk about the prayer for the physician and, and the potential of what we can do. You've done your homework if you know about the prayer of the physician. I, it's something that I've carried with me on my physical body for probably the first 17 years I was a doctor. I've been a physician now 29 years. So when we built our first office, we put it on the wall. I actually have it in my book. Do you want me to read it? If you don't mind, however it flows for you. So the prayer of the physician is something that was written by Maimonides. He was a... Jewish physician that lived between 1135 and 1204 after death, after Christ's death, based on the Christian calendar. The Prayer for the Physician by Maimonides. Before I begin the holy work of healing the creation of your hands, I place eternity before the throne of your glory, that you grant me strength of spirit and fortitude to faithfully execute my work. Let not desire for wealth or benefit blind me from seeing the truth. Deem me worthy of seeing in the sufferer who seeks my advice, a person, neither rich nor poor, friend or foe, good man or bad man, or a man in need. Show me only the man. 
If doctors wiser than I seek to help me understand, grant me the desire to learn from them for the knowledge of healing is boundless. But when fools deride me, give me fortitude. Let my love for my profession strengthen my resolve to withstand the derision even of men of high station. Illuminate the way for me, for any lapse in my knowledge can bring illness and death upon your creations. I beseech you, merciful and gracious God, strengthen me in body and soul and instill within me a perfect spirit. You know, some people may think they know why I got emotional about that. I got emotional about that because my son, this is what happened a couple hours ago. And um, we have to do everything we can to wake the world up. Because what's coming down the pipelines has nothing to do with the COVID-19. That's a distraction. That's misdirection. That's misinformation. There is a difference between fear and danger. Fear is an illusion that exists in your mind. Danger is real. And what's been painted right now is that COVID-19 is the danger. And that's why we need to be fearful of it. And that's why we need to get these vaccines. But the danger is not the COVID-19. The danger is the vaccines. The danger is the RF chips. The danger is what's going to come up if you run and say, give me the vaccine, because that's what's going to kill millions of people. We know the history of vaccination. We know what they've done. We know that now from since 1984 till 2018, everybody that got the flu shot, the covalent, the trivalent flu shot, are testing positive for COVID-19. They put formaldehyde in their mercury in their aluminum and nickel and DNA addicts and uh, mutated human cell lines and all sorts of other proteins from other species into these vaccines. The Centers for Disease Control's own data shows 1% of the population they estimate now has autism. 1%. The world's population is 7.7 billion. That means 77 million children and people have autism right now. There was no such thing as an autism epidemic in 1991. So 29 years ago, 29 years ago, I graduated from medical school in 1991. That's the year of the National Vaccine Initiative. That's when we started giving vaccines to children on the first day of the planet. And I just did a video interview where we just land blasted that whole logic, that failure of that logic of the vaccines. When people start getting the vaccines under the pretense of protection, they're going to start getting sicker. And they're going to start getting sicker because they're going to be the vaccines are going to be introducing things into their system that suppress their immune system and cause more havoc, just like all the other vaccines have, but this is to the next level. The fact that the people that have gotten ill have not gotten ill from a viral component and the doctors that are in the trenches dealing with this are saying the same thing. It's like the hemoglobin and the iron are disassociating. It's like they're having an altitude sickness. This is a hypoxic injury. That's not how viruses present there's something else going on. There's a radio frequency electromagnetic field generation or it's an electromagnetic you know, dirty energy or something else that's going on. And when you understand what a gigahertz is, that a gigahertz is one gigahertz is one billion hertz and your phone is at 900 hertz and you start looking at 900 hertz versus one billion hertz and 1.8 billion hertz is 1.8 gigahertz is where the cancer start of the brain, of the adrenal glands, of the lungs, of the of the heart, uh, neurological implications. And when this technology is fully rolled out, they're going to be at 30 billion hertz to 300 billion hertz, 30 gigahertz to 300 gigahertz. That's what their plan is. And when people get sick from this, they're going to say, oh, oh, look, it's more COVID-19. You need more vaccines. And they're going to pick sick more vaccines than people. And it's a cycle that's going to feed and feed until the agenda has been accomplished. And the agenda is not money. It's not power. It's far, far more sinister. It's far, far more sinister. There are videos right now on, one of the videos I would refer you to watch, which you probably already have watched, um, but maybe your listeners may want to watch. It's part two of It's Time to Wake Up. And I don't know how many views it's had so far, but it's just a short, maybe seven minute video. And it gives you the history in five minutes. It's not one of my videos. It was something that the person who produced it, it was banned, and he gave it to me so the world could see it. Or basically, I was allowed to use it. And I want people to be able to know that history. And then you'll understand what I'm seeing right now. You can, you know, everybody has a choice right now at this point. They can 
call me some kind of name, say I'm an idiot. They can say you're an idiot for putting me on. They can say whatever they want. It doesn't matter. Those there's obviously people like that. They can stick their head in the sand. They can cover up their eyes. They can cover up their ears, and say we're all crazy, and then pay the price six months down the line, a year down the line, and in two years we're going to be in a different world, a world that nobody wants to be in. Or they have the choice of listening and becoming curious and doing their own investigation, using their own eyes, their own ears, using their own mind and asking the question, what is the motive here? And then watch the information. There's a lot of information out there. And question, why is this stuff being censored? Why is it being censored? Why is it that, it's, why is it that this virus that is chimeric and that was very virulent, yes, it was, and it was man-made, but why is it that this virus that was released in Wuhan, that they said China was creating this economy, the war on the economy, on the, the U.S. economy. This virus was that smart that it went from Wuhan, jumped over Beijing, jumped over Shanghai, had no problems there, and went to Iran, Italy, and then hit the New York. Why did the virus skip Beijing and Shanghai? People aren't asking that question. Why are we asking the question, how many people that have actually died of this COVID-19, how many of them have actually had an adult vaccination? How many of them have had H1N1 vaccine? How many of them had the flu shot, the COVID flu shot, the trivalent flu shot? How many of them had adult zoster vaccine? Why are we asking that question? And then look at the numbers. Why are we asking the question that if this was so bad that it's causing such devastation, then why are we telling doctors and nurses to change the death certificate to say COVID-19? Why are we using the same footage from one hospital and pretending that's different hospitals? Why are all the hospitals not busy? Why are nurses being laid off? Why are doctors saying that it's the lowest census in their hospitals? Why? Why are we asking these questions? We should be asking questions that if this is truly as bad as they say, then why is it that they say no public gatherings of 50 people or more or 20 people or more? Yet you can get on a plane with 200 people and that's not a problem. Or you can go to the grocery store and that's not a problem because it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all lies. And the people that are dying, you haven't seen anything. Because still the seasonal flu is way more than the COVID-19, but they're going to try, they're adjusting the numbers. They're trying to elevate the numbers synthetically to justify what they've done. There is massive, massive deception that's occurring right now on the planet. And we, the people of the planet, need to awaken and need to learn the information that will empower us so that we cannot any longer be victims. We have been victims for too long. Rashid, thank you so much for your time today, brother. I love you. I hear you. I am optimistic as much as I can be. And we, we will start with love. <laughs> That's exactly it right there, Pete. You said it. There's nothing to be pessimistic about. 99%, 99%, my heart tells me we're going to be fine. But we need to strive to achieve the next level. And that comes from being conscious of what the real issue is, being aware and being prepared to set that transmission from our brains, what we're thinking, because love is the only thing that's going to conquer this. Love and gratitude and compassion. Mm, I love you, brother. Thank you so much. I've got 1% left of my thing, so I've got to stop. We'll connect again soon, but thank you so much. You Have a wonderful welcome. day. I love you. See you, mate. I love you too. Bye-bye. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows, and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. 
Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.